Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is caught for a touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Some great conversation lined up for you this week. In our next segment, it's the Sports Business Radio headlines of the week. Coming up in segment three, we'll catch up with Mike Reese of ESPNBoston.com. We'll go inside the New England Patriots organization. What can we expect from a team that went 14-2 and last year, but had a disappointing playoff run when they were eliminated by the New York Jets? They signed Plaxico Burris. Tom Brady's at the helm, as always. So we'll talk about the New England Patriots with Mike Reese from ESPNBoston.com in segment three. In segment four, a timely conversation with Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports. What an incredibly well-written and thorough investigative piece he put together this week on the University of Miami that has shook the college sports world to its foundation. That's coming up in segment four, Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports. Coming up next, it's Sports Business Radio headlines. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter. Twitter.com slash SB Radio. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. It's time, baby. At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio Headlines. Headline number one. If you listen to this show regularly, you remember a few months back when Charles Robinson from Yahoo Sports joined me and we talked about the Ohio State story that he broke that led to the dismissal of Jim Tressel. At that time, Robinson told us that wasn't as big of a story as the story he was working on currently. He said, I'm working on a size 10 magnitude story. Many people in sports wondered what program 
is going to be rocked to its core by Yahoo Sports and Charles Robinson next. Griggs, we found out this week it was the University of Miami. This story is like a movie. From prostitution to abortions to cash payments, yacht rides with 16 current players, coaches that are scattered across the NCAA landscape, former players that are in the NFL now, 73 players in all, and a guy who is in jail serving 20 years for a Ponzi scheme, Nevin Shapiro. You can't write this stuff. Yeah, it's just insane. I mean, when this came out, 72 players, you're like, what? I mean, how do you even start? Where do you even start? It's just crazy. I mean, there's so many people involved, so many things involved. Like I said, yachts, cars, people. It's crazy. Nuts. Well, and it's going to be real interesting to see what the NCAA does next. Once again, the media, in most cases Yahoo Sports, breaks these stories, and then the NCAA is playing catch-up to try and do the investigation. This could take months, if not years, to unravel all of this and then hand out penalties. Coming up in segment four, Charles Robinson from Yahoo Sports joins me to discuss the University of Miami investigative piece he wrote in depth. Our next headline, Terrell Pryor, eligible for the NFL supplemental draft on August 22nd. Here's the interesting thing, though, Griggs. The NCAA had Pryor returned to Ohio State, was going to suspend him the first five games of the year. The NFL transferred that suspension And now, even if he's drafted by a team, he's got to serve a five-game suspension. This has never happened before. And you look at a guy like Pete Carroll, who was at USC with all their problems, when he became coach of the Seahawks, no suspension or penalty followed him. So it's kind of odd that the NFL has opened up this Pandora's box. It is odd, but I I think it's great in this situation because Pryor kind of thinks, hey, I'm getting out of Ohio State, go play in the NFL, be a big star, and then he gets slapped with the same five games. I think it's a great idea. I think it could happen more in the future. I don't think it's a bad idea, but here's the thing. The NCAA and the NFL have to get together on this, and they need to be consistent. Our last headline of the week, the Chinese Basketball Association ruled this week that any NBA player with a contract is not going to be able to play in their league. So Kobe Bryant, Kevin Durant, any of these players that you've heard rumored to be going to China to play during the lockout if the season is lost, that's now off the table because the Chinese Basketball Association has said if you have a current NBA contract, you're not able to play in our league. All right, coming up next, Mike Reese from ESPNBoston.com will go inside the Patriots. After that, an in-depth conversation with Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports about his tremendous investigative piece that broke this week on the University of Miami. I'm Brian Berger, and you're listening to Sports Business Radio. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at SportsBusinessRadio.com. Back with more SBR after this. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bowl Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thank Thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. 
Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. A man I've been chasing down for a few weeks, a very busy man. Mike Reese of ESPNBoston.com. Follow him on Twitter at Mike Reese. He covers the New England Patriots. Mike, how are you? I'm doing well, Brian. How are you? Good. You're a busy, busy guy, especially since the lockout ended. It's been crazy for you, hasn't it? It has. And, and you know, you think about different teams around the NFL. You know, few teams have made the type of moves that the Patriots have, you know, in terms of the, the Chad Ochocinco's and the Albert Hainsworth. So, you know, I know all the reporters around the league are busy. I think Patriots reporters uh, might be busier than most, though. Let's talk about some of those moves. Uh, they were kind of unexpected. Let's start with Ocho Cinco. What do you think he's going to mean to the Patriots' offense? Well, first things first, I'd say they were unexpected. But with Bill Belichick, I have a little bit of a saying, Brian. I say, you know, <laughs> expect the unexpected. Right. He's so unpredictable. But in terms of, of Ocho Cinco and what he'll mean to this offense, I think basically it just gives them another weapon. I really thought they were okay with what they had before acquiring him. Dion Branch and Wes Welker, your top guys with Brandon Tate, Julian Edelman, and a youngster in Taylor Price, you know, right down the line. But I think in Ocho Cinco, they felt like the price wasn't that much. So why not add another weapon, someone that Tom Brady uh, can quickly build a trust with and will know will be in the right spot I don't think Ocho Cinco is a, a fast, uh, burner, Randy Moss-style receiver who's going to blaze down the field and open things up underneath for Wes Welker, but I think he'll open it up in a different way by running good routes, being in the right spot, and just giving Tom Brady another reliable presence in the outer part of the field. Well, and the other thing with Ocho Cinco is that he and Coach Belichick have a relationship going back a few years. They met at the Pro Bowl, and it uh, seems like they hit it off. They did, and, and it's interesting, Bill Belichick had called them an odd couple because you wouldn't think that someone with the <laughs> playful antics of Ocho Cinco and, and the more serious exterior of Bill Belichick would, would be uh, linked in any form. But, you know, behind the scenes, Bill Belichick is, uh, is a jokester, believe it or not, Brian, and they, they um, you know, I think he appreciates the passion that Ocho Cinco has for the game, and I think he's able to sort of some of the things he does is more playful uh, than anything else, and I think he feels that his passion for the game and his work ethic are more important than some of that other stuff that pretty much uh, we all talk about more than, than Ocho Cinco's actual football. I love how uh, Ocho Cinco, obviously an active guy on Twitter, and when Bill Belichick was asked about that, he said something to the effect of, I don't tweet, I don't yearbook, and I don't my face. <laughs> and it basically just shows you how out of touch uh, Bill Belichick is with social media, but he's a genius everywhere else. Yeah, he does a great job with the football, and I've heard him say stuff like that before. It's one of his favorite lines, and you know, I think that's the thing I actually have a lot of respect for, for Belichick for. You know, he, he's not one of these, you know, young hotshot coaches. He's been doing this for a long time, but he still has the passion, and he's, 
he's really a brilliant coach, Brian. You watch him out in the field and training camp. One of my favorite things to do is just watch the way he coaches a team. You think about a head coach, and a lot of times you think of that person that sort of oversees everything. You have you know, people under him doing the dirty work, you know, the grunt work, the coaching, getting down in the trenches with the players, if you will. Uh, but Belichick does that as well. So he's not just that guy overseeing it. He gets into the drills, and he's right on top of things. Yesterday, he had a drill where the quarterbacks were dropping back to pass, and he was trying to create a distraction for the quarterbacks during the drill. I watched him take one of those foam sort of uh, blocking pads that you see the players use, right. literally wound up and threw it right at backup quarterback Brian Hoyer and nailed him in the head. <laughs> and so I only pass along the story just to tell you, the passion is still there after all this time. Bill Belichick been in the league since 1975. That's interesting. So he's not just sitting there with the hoodie up in a uh, window somewhere not participating. He's out there getting, he's, he's rolling up his sleeves. He is, but it, and it's not just that he'd be up high sort of overseeing. I think a lot of times what I, what I hear from other reporters, you see coaches sort of, you know, walk from drill to drill, sort of, you know, let their assistant coaches coach and then sort of pull it all together. I think Belichick does that as well, but I, I find he's sort of one of those coaches that hasn't lost sort of that fundamental um, aspect of who he is, and that's a, a football coach, a teacher someone who likes to do, you know, get right down with the rookie free agent who probably won't make the team, but he's trying to make him better as well. Joined by Mike Reese of ESPNBoston.com. Follow him on Twitter at Mike Reese. Let's talk about Albert Hainsworth. Uh, pretty much a, a no risk for the Patriots as I see it, other than, you know, what he could do to the locker room. They're not paying any money for him. So do you think Hainsworth can get his act together and – become the guy that he was at Tennessee? I do, and I think it's all set up. That's scary. Yeah, it really is. I've been watching him out on the practice field the last couple of practices. This could be, um, this could be a comeback player of the year type thing. Wow. He's just, he's just um, manhandling some backup offensive linemen, so that's sort of important to mention, but you just see what a difference he makes. I mean, he's so big, he's so powerful, but he's got this sort of short area quickness where he gets right on these linemen and they're just getting knocked right back. I think, you know, the thing to me is the Patriots have this structure within their uh, organization, strong leadership with the likes of Tom Brady, Vince Wilfork on defense, some others, and, and Belichick, the program he sets up, sort of insulates these guys from a lot of that uh, outside distraction. So I think, I think it's all set up for Albert Hainsworth to come back and, and have a big year and be a big difference maker for the Patriots. The man everyone talks about in New England, Tom Brady. How is he looking uh, as we enter the season? Well, I'd say health-wise, he looks good. He had surgery on his right foot back in January and uh, you know, had a good off-season, worked hard on it, and so he's ready to go. The one thing I would say is that I think the offense on the whole has looked very shaky uh, over the first week of training camp. doesn't surprise me. I sort of make a connection to maybe baseball when you get to spring training. A lot of times I think you hear that the pitchers might often be ahead of the hitters because the hitters have to get you know, their timing down. It takes a little time. I think the same thing for the offense. I think not having the chance to work together in the offseason and not having as many practices, Brian, early in training camp to really get the timing down 
it's looked pretty rusty to me, and so Brady's no exception there. But when I look at him, the arm strength is still there, the, the passion, the competitive drive, it's all still there. I expect another big year from him. So we've got Wes Welker. You've got Dion Branch. You add Chad Ochocinco. You've got my guy, Danny Woodhead. That's a pretty interesting offense there for Tom Brady. It is. There's just so so many weapons. I mean, what do you want to do, Brian? I mean, you come out one one week, you could spread the field with three, four wide receivers and have Danny Woodhead play, you know, the majority of the snaps at running back as you're sort of passing back, a threat who can catch the ball. The next week you might want to play smash mouth because you might see an advantage there. So what do you do? Well, let's go to some two-receiver sets, but let's put promising tight end Rob Gronkowski out in the field a little bit more, and let's go power it up and maybe add some speed at running back with Ben Jarvis, Green Ellis, and Shane Vereen. A rookie uh, Vereen is a second-round pick out of Cal, looked very fast out in the practice field yesterday. I think the big question right now, though, for the Patriots, they, they have these weapons. They have Brady pulling the trigger. How's that offensive line going to come together? I think that was one of the big questions entering camp, and, and they answered a few of those questions pretty nicely with left tackle Matt Light and left guard Logan Mankins coming back. But through the first week of camp, those guys haven't practiced, and I've noticed that the line has had a little bit of a tough time. We've got a few minutes left with Mike Reese of ESPNBoston.com. The guy I want to talk about, the most important man in New England, Robert Kraft. Uh, I mean, what, a, what an owner there, and he was instrumental in getting the lockout solved. I think the, the lasting image for me is when he and Jeff Saturday from the Colts embraced when everything was all said and done. He had just lost his wife. Talk about him for a minute. Well, I would just say, you know, Robert Kraft is, has emerged since buying the team in 1994 as not just an owner who sort of saved the Patriots from moving out of this region maybe going to St. Louis at the time, and, and more than just the owner that put the structure in place, hired the right people to bring three Super Bowl championships to New England. But now he's an owner that's, whose impact has stretched beyond his own football team, the New England Patriots, and now has stretched to the NFL. You know, he's involved in various committees in terms of the owners in the league, um, one of the power brokers, if you will, a bridge builder, someone who can get people together, talk about issues, be hard when he has to, but be soft when he has to, bringing people together. So I think now you start talking about a legacy as an owner. Robert Kraft already had it nailed down as you know the Patriots owner, guy who was in charge uh, running the show when they won three Super Bowls, kept the team in the area. But now you look at from an NFL perspective, the guy helped at, at a critical time, as Jeff Saturday said, save football. Yeah, I mean, if Robert Kraft isn't there, if he's off you know, grieving I don't know if this is solved yet. I think they're still trying to work things out, don't you? You know, that, that's, that's hard for me to say just because I, you know, I wasn't sort of closely following you know, the, the inner dynamics of the lockout. We had other reporters doing that. But certainly when you, when you listen to what Jeff Saturday said, I mean, how do you dispute that? The guy was in all the negotiations. I think that it probably would have been hard to get it done without Robert Kraft. But, you know... You've got to give him credit for playing the role he did in, uh, in getting the sides where they ultimately ended up. Patriots 14-2 and last year. They lose to the Jets in the playoffs. Disappointing there. A lot of people talking about the Eagles right now with all the signings they've had. Where do you think the Patriots can go this season? Do they get all the way to the Super Bowl? Do they win it? Are they that good of a team? Yeah, let, let's assume good health 
for every team. Uh, I think they'll be right there in the mix. I do think that it's important to point out that this is a team that the last three playoff games they've played have not charged through the finish line. They've lost their last three playoff games. Interesting. So I, think, I think that no matter what happens in the regular season, I think it would be a shocker if they're not in the playoffs. But I think once they get there, questions will still remain. They have something to prove. I think they'll be there in the end, Brian. I think they're part of a small group of teams that, that I feel has the potential to win a Super Bowl uh, in the NFL. So as we've seen over the last decade, Patriots have to be in the discussion. Will they make it happen? I wouldn't bet against it, but again, they have those playoff questions to answer. That's interesting because Tom Brady and Coach Belichick have been so potent in the playoffs before this three-game losing streak that you're mentioning. It's just surprising. You would think with a little bit more time to prepare, they would uh, they'd thrive in the playoffs as they had before. Yeah, and I think one of the factors is after the 2007 loss, and that was the perfect season where they just couldn't pull it off against the Giants in the Super Bowl, Belichick really turned over the roster. I mean, and it's hard. You know, we hear window of opportunity a lot in sports. Hey, we have a window of opportunity. Let's, we got to win now. Well, the Patriots don't really operate on that window of opportunity mindset. They want a tender. And so to be able to turn over your roster, to get younger but still be competitive, it's got to be one of the hardest things to do in sports, and, and that's what they were doing. So I think some of the playoff struggles we saw the last, last two losses, take away that 2007 Super Bowl loss, has been a, a little bit of a result of youth. I mean, they're a younger team, so I think that experience they've gained over the last two playoffs will help them this time around. Mike Reese, ESPNBoston.com. Follow him on Twitter, at Mike Reese. One of the best NFL reporters out there. i got to tell you, I've got a buddy down in L.A. who's like a diehard Pats fan, and he heard I was going to be having you on, and he was very excited. He, he reads your stuff all the time. So thanks for taking the time to uh, join me, and I'd love to have you on again in the future. Right, well, I appreciate it, and uh, you should tell everyone how we found each other because I was so impressed with the interview you had with Danny Woodhead, and uh, so I appreciate what you do, and I appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. This is SBR. Back with more after this. Just gonna stand there and watch me burn. Well, that's alright because I like the way it hurts. Just gonna stand there and hear me cry. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Well, I'm dusting off my golf clubs and looking forward to enjoying the gorgeous Oregon summer weather on the golf course. Like many of you, I'm on a budget. I want to tee it up when it's convenient for my schedule, and I enjoy playing golf courses that deliver a private golf club experience. That's why I want to tell you about the Ghost Pass at Pumpkin Ridge Golf Club. The Ghost Pass is Oregon's premier frequent player program that allows you to play the world-renowned Ghost Creek Golf Course for over half off of the regular greens fees. And with your Ghost Pass, you can make your tee times 14 days in advance. The Ghost Pass program sets itself apart by offering a competitive tournament program, which includes one exclusive Ghost Pass event at Witch Hollow. The Ghost Pass is available for only $150, and here's the best part. When you sign up for the Ghost Pass, you'll receive a complimentary round of golf valued at $150. So you literally can't lose when you purchase the Ghost Pass. Go online to pumpkinridge.com and sign up for the Ghost Pass today. I'll see you on the links. 
The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. We're back, and I'm joined on the phone right now by Charles Robinson, senior investigative reporter for Yahoo Sports. Follow him on Twitter, at Charles Robinson. Charles, how are you? I'm doing well, Brian. How you doing? Great. First of all, unbelievable reporting by you. This is award-winning, one of the most comprehensive pieces I've ever read in my life. So kudos to you on an 11-month investigation and uh, just stunning reporting. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was, uh, it was definitely a journey. You know, you're, anytime you spend 11 months on, on any project, particularly one that's got to be kept, you know, quiet for so long, uh, it's always a challenge, but, uh, you know, at the end, you know, I feel like it was uh, the product, the end product was something we can be proud of. So this piece on the corruption at the University of Miami is it, really amazing. How did you connect with Hurricanes booster and convicted felon uh, Nevin Shapiro? Well, essentially what happened was, uh, you know, at the start, if you go back to August of, of 2010, myself and and. Uh, other colleagues uh, were really paying attention to Nevin Shapiro, looking into uh, the fact that you know this was a guy that had been taken into custody for uh, what was one of the largest Ponzi uh, cases in the history of the United States. And uh, you know there came a point where he connected some dots between Nevin Shapiro and a, na- a man by the name of Michael Hugh, who now obviously is the commissioner of the, uh, the United Football League. Now, uh, Michael Huke at that time had a sports agency called Access Sports and Entertainment. We were able to connect some dots between Nevin and Michael Huke and find documentation that he actually owned a 30% stake in Access Sports. And that was really when, when the story got a little bit of traction because you, here you got a booster who's close to Miami, close to players, involved in a Ponzi scheme, and now all of a sudden you're finding out that, wow, the guy owned a fairly large stake in a sports agency – that, oh, by the way, represented two first-round picks at the University of Miami, there was a lot of meat on the bone. And uh, so that began a process of really backgrounding. We, uh, myself, I reached out to Nevin Shapiro, and I was rebuffed actually all the way until December. So we spent a, a, a number of months. This became a side project. You know, we, we spent a lot of time doing research on it, and, it, and then really it, it fully formed in, in December when I had a chance to finally connect with Nevin Shapiro get him on the phone. Our first conversation was about 40 minutes, and I knew right then this was going to you know, be something that I devoted a fairly significant portion of time to until we were able to, to come out with a story. Was Shapiro ever thinking of writing a tell-all book instead of sitting down with you and telling his story? Yeah, that, actually, initially, you know, that was his plan you know, last summer, and, and it was something that he told the Miami Herald last summer. Hey, I'm, I'm, I was involved at the Miami, you know, University of Miami program. I was someone who was close to a lot of players, and there was a lot of impropriety that people need to know about, and I'm going to write a book about it. And that was a project he began. Now, my understanding is they shelved the project ultimately in December when he and I had our conversation. And part of the reason why I think he decided to uh, open up to us is because I told him, look, Nevin, uh, here's the situation. We have uncovered a lot on Access Sports. We've uncovered this relationship. We know you know, about some of the things that were going on with you at the University of Miami, whether you work with us or not, whether you talk to us or not, we will be reporting a, a story on you and the University of Miami and Access Sports. And then I, Devin Shapiro told me later that was the moment when I decided, okay, you know, I need to talk to, to Yahoo Sports because they seem to have a fairly large fragment of my story already reported, 
And uh, in the ensuing months after December, obviously, access sports became a far smaller part of the story, uh, but still very, uh, very important nonetheless. Charles Robinson from Yahoo Sports joining us. The corruption so widespread at Miami, 73 players were involved, according to your report, including current NFL players Devin Hester, Kellen Winslow Jr., Vince Wilfork, Willis McGahee, Andre Johnson. Current players, such as Hurricane starting quarterback Ja'Cory Harris, were named in your report. Coaches seemingly knew violations were taking place. There were sex parties, trips on Shapiro's yacht. Players were lavish with gifts, including TVs, clothing, and jewelry. And Shapiro owned part of that sports agency that you're talking about. So he was building relationships with them while they were at Miami and then cashing in on the backside. Violations everywhere, right, Charles? Yeah, I, I think just in terms of the violations that were occurring, the potential violations that were occurring, it was the full run. I, I don't know that I've ever seen something um, top to bottom, inside out. I mean, it was, it was all there. It's, and it's interesting, too, when you look back historically at some of the bigger booster cases with the NCAA, and everyone always looks at SMU. The interesting thing about Southern Methodist University and what led to that death penalty, that was simply cash. That was simply now there was high-level involvement, not only uh, you know, with, with Southern Methodist University, the coaching staff, and, and the upper reaches of administration there, but it was still something that was all based on cash. Nevin Shapiro was based on cash, flash, uh, yachts, mansion, uh, you know, all these different things, including you know, sex, uh, prostitutes, um, you know, even an abortion. Like I, of all these things... Uh, you, you sit and you look at the full list, and it's hard to fully comprehend um, what that must have been like during that eight-year um, period at, at Miami. But in, in an odd way, I think it almost reflects in some ways the outlaw nature of that program that it embraced just in terms of that swagger and that attitude. But then the city of Miami, it was all occurring at a time when the Miami real estate market, there was a lot of money in Miami real estate. There was a ton of money and a lot of it was fake money and it was a real estate bubble that ultimately burst very much like, you know, Nevin Shapiro's situation burst. So here's the part that really uh, grinds on me. Former Miami AD Paul D., who was the AD when most of this corruption was taking place. He was so outspoken with USC when they were going through their uh, infractions and being penalized by the NCAA a few years ago. He's been working with the NCAA and their committee on infractions. How can the NCAA be anywhere near Paul D. when he was at the head of the table during all of this corruption at Miami? Well, you know that's true. I mean, Paul D. was the former head of he was the former chairman of the of the committee on infractions. Now, obviously, while this was taking place, no one, Paul D. included, uh, at least the claim is no one had any idea that Nevin Shapiro existed in terms of the the way he existed. Yes, people knew he was a booster. They didn't necessarily know everything he was doing. Um, you know, Paul D. I think the interesting wrinkle is that he's a man who wagged his finger at you know Memphis with Derrick Rose's SAT situation and said you should have known about that. Penalized them very, very harshly. USC, OJ Mayo and and Reggie Bush looked at that situation and penalized them very harshly while once again wagging his finger and saying. High-profile athletes require high-profile compliance or high-level compliance. Well, those are words that ultimately, I believe, you know, in a way, come back to haunt Paul D. Because now we find out that during a very large part of his tenure, Devin Shapiro was pulling off potentially one of the most damaging booster scandals 
in, in the history of the NCAA. And Nevin Shapiro was a guy who not only did he run the team out of the tunnel twice, on two occasions ran the team through the famous smoke at Miami, he was once called onto the field by Paul D. Uh, during a break in the action during a game to applaud Nevin Shapiro for his booster contributions at the University of Miami. So it's, you know, it has the potential to be fairly embarrassing, you know, to Paul, Paul D. knowing what his reputation has been historically in terms of, uh, you know, being a stickler for compliance. But wouldn't it be a complete conflict of interest for Paul D. to be working anywhere near the NCAA on an investigation with Miami? Now, yeah, of course. I mean, he doesn't have to worry about that anymore. He's no longer on the on the uh, the, the uh, committee on infractions. Uh, he's he's no longer chairs it. He's not a member of the committee on infractions. Uh, you know, as far as I know, Paul D is now you know a professor at Miami. You know, he's teaching uh, you know he's teaching students at Miami, and um, you know, so there's no conflict of interest there any longer. But you know, the NCAA has to make. The NCAA, you, 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 I imagine you have to squirm a little bit if you're the NCAA, knowing that this was a man who once chaired, you know, the committee that oversaw uh, the compliance of, of every institution in the country, every high-level institution in the country. Yeah, I mean, if you're Mark Emmert, and here's a guy that's talked about compliance and enforcement, what do you do here? I mean, Charles, you yourself, have, you've brought down USC, Ohio State, we've North Carolina, Oregon's under investigation. The list goes on and on, but this one, this is like a movie. And, and like you said, it's got the, the cash and the flash. If you're the NCAA, you're really up against it now, aren't you? It, it's a, it'll be an interesting, uh, it's an interesting situation for the NCAA because I think when you look at the last few years, in some instances the NCAA was very harsh when you look at USC. Their penalties were in no way soft with USC. Uh, USC appealed, won nothing on appeal, didn't get an inch back. Um, and yet there were other situations where a lot of people were upset about the Cam Newton situation at Auburn and whether or not that was handled properly by the NCAA, whether or not Ohio State is really going to face uh, the full ramifications that a lot of people think that you know Ohio State should face. So there's, you know, the NCAA has these cases where when you look at the sanctioning, are they tough, are they soft? I mean, they've kind of wobbled back and forth in terms of that public opinion of how they've handled things. And now you have this come in behind all of that and on the heels of Mark Emmert's, you know, ballyhooed meeting with all these, you know, college presidents, many of whom really weren't from major institutions. Uh, what is the NCAA going to do in, in this situation? And does this case uh, send a signal out that, hey, you know what, you used to think you had the, at least you thought you had the booster situation solved. You didn't have to worry about that insane booster scandal happening anymore. That was a thing of the 80s and the 70s and the 90s. We've got that wrapped up. Well, maybe not. This, maybe this turns back the clock a little bit and says as much as the NCAA has done, uh, the ability for a booster like a Ed Martin, like a Sherwood Blunt at SMU, that ability still exists. Did the NCAA have any inkling about how deep this story was at Miami before your story hit yesterday? Well, you know, I, I know that the NCAA in, what, March, Nevin Shapiro informed us that he had begun speaking to the NCAA. And, of course, my first question was, what, what are you telling them? Like, what do you, what's your interaction? You know, let me, you know, tell me exactly what's going on between you. And, you know, Nevin Shapiro made us aware that, hey, all the documentation that I've turned over to you, all the proof, the photos, everything I've turned over, 
I did the same thing with them. I turned it all over to the NCAA. So I, I immediately knew that, hey, this, this was a pretty high-level situation, and um, they were very intimately involved, much as the NCAA, or excuse me, much as Nevin Shapiro and I were very intimately, in, intimately involved in, in his story. Um, so, yeah, I think they knew. And, and, you know, personally, and I don't know this, you know, for a fact, but, you know, I've been told by, you know, uh, Nevin Shapiro's attorney that part of the reason why the NCAA arrived on Miami's campus to start deposing athletes is because someone had leaked to the NCAA that our story was close to running. And if that's the case, you know, I think the NCAA, yeah, they knew very well what, what the serious nature of this was going to be when the story ran. Interesting. We're joined by Charles Robinson, senior investigative reporter for Yahoo Sports. Follow him on Twitter, at Charles Robinson. Charles, so what do you do with the players who are still on the Miami roster who are linked to this scandal? Well, it's going to be a lot like North Carolina. We saw a situation go down with North Carolina where, you know, some illicit benefits, some parties that were attended by players, some, some illicit travel and some illicit gifts. That all came out in the offseason with North Carolina, and the question was, what would they do with these guys? Well, there were suspensions. You know, there were guys who were forced to sit out multiple games, forced to, you know, repay, you know, monies that they, they had collected in, in their acts. And now I think that's a similar situation that Miami faces. you got a number of players. We identified 12 who had some uh, level of contact with Nevin Shapiro, and uh, we were able to corroborate that. If the NCAA can corroborate those 12 or more, potentially more, uh, what happens to those players? I think you see a situation like North Carolina where you're going to have a number of players uh, potentially sitting out, you know, be it one game, two games, maybe even a season like a Marvin Austin. What about coaches who have moved on? They were at Miami, now they're at Alabama or Louisville or somewhere else. Is there anything the NCAA might do to uh, punish them? Well, they can. They're wide open. I mean, they, they can follow coaches anywhere now. And you look at the Kelvin Sampson situation a few years back, things that Kelvin Sampson had done at Oklahoma ultimately followed him to Indiana, and it cost him his job with the Hoosiers uh, because of the impropriety he engaged in at Oklahoma. So all these coaches, and Nevin Shapiro named six, who either had knowledge or directly uh, took part in NCAA violations with Nevin Shapiro, and we identified a seventh through sources. Uh, if those seven coaches are, are found to have uh, committed um, – you know, acts that they shouldn't have with, with Nevin Shapiro. I think they face sanctioning uh, no matter where they are as long as they're at an NCAA sanctioned school. Some people would read this story and they'd go, ah, Nevin Shapiro, he's got an ax to grind. Um, he's in jail. He's got nothing really to, to live for anymore. Uh, he's just swinging at the fences here. But your story had so many pictures and receipts and things like that. I mean, he's a credible guy, right? Uh, yeah, but I, I would like to say this up front. Look, the guy does have an axe to grind, and that was he was up front about that. He said, hey, look, I feel like I got left out in the cold by a lot of players who I took care of when they were at the University of Miami. I thought we were family. I took care of these guys. I gave them money. I gave them all these benefits. And when there came a time in my life that, um, you know, I needed them, um, I, I needed help from them. And he told me, you know, he told me, I asked them for money. I asked multiple guys for money. He told me the guys who he asked for money. I mean, I think we're talking eight, nine, ten different guys who he reached out and said, hey, I, I need some financial help from you. And they turned their backs on him. And he said his response was, okay, then I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to, if, if, 
I'm going to be left here on my, own, uh, on my own and you turning your back on me. I'm going to turn my back on you and tell the truth about everything that's happened. Uh, so that axe to grind, it was there. But in terms of the credibility, people shouldn't get those two things mixed up because whether or not someone has an axe to grind is irrelevant if they can prove they did something they shouldn't have been doing. If they engaged in impropriety on the level that Nevin Shapiro did, if he has paperwork, photographs, if there are other human sources to prove that this took place, whatever axe to grind he has becomes irrelevant. It's all about the axe. Did, did they occur or didn't they occur outside of his motivation? Uh, you know, just what are the facts? And, and I think Nevin Shapiro was able to provide the facts in a lot of those instances. Well, in the detail in your story, again, the receipts, the pictures, uh, the nightclub bills, the hotel bills, things like that, it leaves very little to doubt. It's, uh, I think we spent an exhaustive amount of time. I, I don't remember the last story. And, you know, we spent a lot of time on any story like this, but I don't remember a story where I literally had 14, 16-hour days that were chiefly spent on nothing but going through documents line by line, uh, phone bills line by line, pulling out phone numbers, uh, you know, combing through photographs to identify every single face in a photograph, um, you know, time frames of photographs, things of this nature. Um, yeah, I, I've, I can tell you right now there's a room in my house that is filled to the brim with legal boxes stacked, you know, practically to the ceiling uh, with nothing but Nevin Shapiro financial documents, phone records, and you know, all the other paper that, that, you know, we've collected in the, in the six months since we began talking to him. So, you know, we felt very good about, um, you know, what we were able to bring to bear when it was time to write a story. And I will say this too, people should know, we didn't print everything Nevin Shapiro said. He named over a hundred players to us and we only went to print with 72, 73 actually, when you consider one player who didn't receive any benefits, it was actually someone near the player who received benefits. But you're essentially talking about 73 names out of a batch of well in excess of 100 names that Nevin Shapiro brought to the table, and a lot of those hit the cutting room floor for the simple fact that we could not corroborate any part of what Nevin Shapiro said about those individuals. Last question for you. I know Nevin Shapiro, uh, I heard some audio this morning from him, and he said that he thinks this is headed towards the death penalty for University of Miami. I know it's hard to speculate, but, you know, I was reading the violations that SMU committed, and I know it was years ago back in 1987, but tell you what, this seems much more widespread and much more serious than what happened at SMU. I don't see how Miami doesn't get the death penalty here. Well, here's the issue with the death penalty, and, and I'm, I don't know where I stand amongst my peers in terms of this opinion, but my opinion is that the NCAA has had decades to digest uh, the ramifications of the death penalty that was delivered to SMU in the 1980s, the mid-1980s. That death penalty to SMU damaged the city of Dallas. It damaged Southern Methodist University on a grand scale. It damaged a conference. and Indeed, it destroyed a conference. And it changed the landscape, both financially and in terms of college football in the state of Texas, and really... I would say the entire Southwest region. Um, now the question is, would the NCAA ever do that again, knowing what the true impact of the death penalty is? I think at the time, the NCAA's perception was, well, we'll shut your program down for a year or two. A lot of kids will transfer out. You'll reload once you know, you're allowed to play football again, and everything will be fine. That's not what happened. It destroyed 
that the program. It was never right again. So knowing the fragile state, I think, of some of these conferences, including the ACC, we're seeing power conferences being created. We went through a run there where there were questions about, hey, is someone going to leave the ACC? Could Miami leave the ACC? Um, knowing, I think, what I would say, the potentially fragile state of the ACC if, if the death penalty was handed down to Miami, I just can't see the NCAA handing out a death penalty again unless the violations were literally so egregious that there was no other option for the NCAA. And I, I, even as bad as the, the situation may be with Nevin Shapiro, I don't know that that's the situation. Charles Robinson, senior investigative reporter for Yahoo Sports. Follow him on Twitter, at Charles Robinson. Charles, again, unbelievable reporting, award-winning reporting. Uh, good job to you, and uh, I appreciate you making the time to join me. Thanks for having me, Brian. I always appreciate it. That's Charles Robinson from Yahoo Sports. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter, twitter.com slash SBRadio. I've been waiting on the sunset, bills on my mindset, I can't deny it. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. Great show this week. Want to thank Charles Robinson from Yahoo Sports, Mike Reese from ESPNBoston.com, our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Jared Melzer, Darren Pack, Ron Barr, James Harrison, Doug Zanger. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just click on the iTunes icon on the front page of sportsbusinessradio.com to have our show podcast downloaded to your iTunes every week. We'd love it if you post a review of our show on iTunes. Follow me on Twitter at SBRadio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Sweet on the tip of my tongue, you taste like sunlight. And strawberry bubble gum, you bite my lip. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter, and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, 
visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com.